Good morning, Idaho. Hope you're having a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. Today, we'll be talking about Caldwell's parking meters, a speed bump that is happening to the Boise to Salt Lake City train project, a conversation about the Snake River dams, which we seem to love to talk about lately, and some news about mining operations in Eastern Idaho. Please join us for that and so much more in this episode. Hey, glad to have you here today. Please join us for the morning banter where we chat with you guys a little bit before we get into it. But I understand if you guys are short on time and prefer to skip the banter, you can use the timestamp that is in the description to jump straight over to these stories. Good morning or good evening, depending on when you're listening. This. I know sometimes for me, it's afternoon when I usually get to podcasts. But with that said, something I have realized I have done a poor job of communicating with you all is just how you can get this show in all the different formats it's available to you guys. So the first is that the podcast you're hearing right now is available pretty much everywhere you can get podcasts, but all of those you'll be able to download it. So even if you guys go on a trip or a hiking trip and you want to be able to listen to me and John go on and on about different things about Idaho without internet, then that would be the way to go with that but we're also on youtube x and rumble so either of those would be awesome rumble preferably because you know there's less of a chance of them deplatforming us in the future if i say something that uh, the youtube overlords don't like now with all that there's also another part of the show that we do make that if you only listen on podcasts you might not know about which is we do take parts of the podcast and kind of dice them up and turn into short firm content so we'll take those sections of different things from like the main stories or in the quickies or the new episode wink wink kind of a hint there of things to come and we'll kind of make those into smaller portions so eat people can more easily discover them and for you guys it'd be way easier for you to share if there's a section of this where, I don't know, maybe we're talking about, like today, we're going to be talking about parking meters in Caldwell, and you want to share it with different friends and family in Caldwell and be like, you should know about this. Well, we usually will turn that into a smaller clip or section, which then you could share, and it makes it a lot easier for someone who's not a regular viewer of the show to be able to consume that and maybe discover it and hopefully learn more about Idaho. Those are on YouTube, Rumble, and X as well. And with all that information stuff out of the way and kind of tying to the content stuff, I'd like to welcome the gentleman who helps make all all that possible john my editor well that's me i am here how are you doing oh doing all right it's what it's saturday morning it's been it's been a good week there's been a lot of stuff going on that's good i mean at least you're not having the headaches you were having last week yeah well you know more sleep helps with that a little bit nice have you guys decided i can't remember if we talked about it last week did you get the christmas tree put up for the year yet or are you way down in like the diehard no it has to be exactly two weeks before christmas before it goes up no so my wife is she she is the one in charge of getting the tree up and in her family growing up they always did it either friday or saturday after thanksgiving and so she's used to having all of the christmas decorations up for the entire month of december and yeah so that's that's been up for a little bit usually it takes an evening as long as people don't fight too much well kind of but, you know, you got to get the tree up and then you've got to get the lights on it and then you've got to fluff out all of the all of the branches and kind of let it settle. And then then you have to get then you have to get all of the ornaments on. And one of the things that my parents did for me, my mom specifically, is she wanted 
my brothers and I to have a good collection of ornaments. And so what she did is she would give us each an ornament every year. And some some years it ended up being more than just one per year. So at this point, I think I'm at the point where I've, what, I'm 37. So I have at least 37. I've probably got 50 ornaments to my name at this point. Just put the slashes on the side of the fuselage there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, <laughs> so we've we've got those to put on and then and then we've continued that with the kids and so they all have their ornaments and it's just a you know it's a it's a big old production and it's a lot of fun we we have we have fun with it and so yeah putting putting ornaments on takes an afternoon i mean yeah it's part of a family member ritual to kind of do it i know some families they they'll just put the christmas lights and then they'll have the ornaments but then i know other families that it's, it's a whole process you know you first have like the christmas lights and then you're gonna have the pearls or like the strings that you put on they might not be actual pearls and then you have you know the really heavy maybe christmas lights for whatever ones i don't know about you what is there just kind of a generic you've got the lights and everything or do you have some very specific items that have to go in a very specific order gosh i let my wife and kids run run rampant with it i'm i'm not a stickler for much of anything when it comes to the christmas tree I know the things for me that blow my mind to have like multiple Christmas trees in the house. I'm so used to like you have the Christmas tree and that's like downstairs. But I've met more and more families that are like, yeah, you've got the Christmas tree. Like if they've got a big house, well, you've got the Christmas tree in the living room and they have the Christmas tree like in the game room. And then maybe you have a small little one that they put out in like the kid's playhouse or stuff like that. And I know that for me is much different, but it also is kind of interesting how some traditions like that you don't think of but then you're like oh interesting but yeah kind of springboarding off that with all the warmth of the holiday season this last so yeah it would have been like friday yeah friday saturday it was cold like the first half of this week was amazingly warm and then the latter half i was getting out to my car on friday evening and it was frigid maybe it's just me i'm used to maybe being inside my job or whatever but did you notice it being colder the last half of last week yeah it was it was snow flurrying last night and then this morning we've got all kinds of uh frost on the ground and the windows of the car and yeah it, it got it got cold last night yeah it must have been i wonder i'd have to look it up later but i think it got colder on this end of town because it was like that dead still when it gets so cold that like almost the weather doesn't want to do anything type of cold if that makes sense so i wonder if it was just a little bit warmer there in boise with a little bit more moisture and so you guys got some snow which i love the snow i've already talked about that last week <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't enough that anything stuck but it was it was definitely flurries i was i was watching it as i was driving going ooh snow like thank you lord also on the note of snow, I'll probably have some footage of it. I'm only going to be up there for like two days. Yeah. Um, next week, I'm going to be going up with the pastor of me and John's church up north to go pick up his son that's up there in Moscow, Idaho at the college there. So I will probably see a lot of snow when I go do that, which there will probably be plenty of those photos posted on the Twitter slash X this next week. So if you're if you're a junkie like me for all the white fluffy stuff, you might want to check that out because that should be a fun trip. And I look forward to also dropping by one of my favorite places to eat on my way up there, which is uh, Tomato Brothers. I have definitely heard a lot about the Tomato Brothers. John's like, yes, we get it, Tyler. We get it. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. Now just let me go so you would stop talking about it so I can relate. No. But with that kind of a bit of a rocky transition and coming kind of to the end of the banter here we have 
taken a decision on the course of the new kind of format for the podcast. You'll have this main episode, which will be coming out on Sunday evenings, or in this case, this week, we're a little delayed, so it'll be coming out Monday evening. And then we'll have our main stories, so usually, you know, four to five, try to keep it to a reasonable amount with me and John, giving you wonderful discussion and banter kind of on those and going through them. And then we will have a midweek one, which for now, the title that we're going to be going with is Yokel Idaho Midweek Report. But if you guys have a name that you think would be better for it or would prefer, I would love to hear that. So if you guys have an idea for that of a cool name that would fit that episode, uh, that'd be awesome. And that'll be like the quickies that we had in the main show. That way we can get both of them shorter and make it a little bit easier for you guys to learn more about the great state of Idaho. With that said, let's move on to the main stories. Our first story for today is Caldwell City Council approves the parking meters. This comes by the Boise Deb by Autumn Robertsons. We talked about this a little bit ago that this was a development. The downtown streets of Caldwell are set to see a significant change. Once the Caldwell Winter Wonderland lights are taken down, parking meters will be installed. The Caldwell City Council approved the introduction of parking meter fees during its recent Tuesday meeting. The meters will charge $1 per hour with the first 15 minutes free. And a maximum parking duration of three hours. Enforcement hours will be from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday with holidays being free. The decision to introduce parking meters has been a contentious one with council members and residents divided on the issue. Council member Diana Register voiced concerns about the inconsistencies between the proposal presented to the council and the written proposal and called for more time for residents and business owners to have their questions answered. However, the motion to postpone the proposal was defeated in a split vote decided by Mayor Jerome Wagner. The final vote to approve the fees also resulted in a tie with Mayor Wagner casting the deciding vote in favor of the fees. While some council members believed the public had adequate opportunity to comment, others like council member Jeff Williams felt that the timing was wrong and wanted to ensure the plan was clear. The earliest the metered parking could go into effect is January 15th, but it could take up to 10 weeks to get some of the necessary equipment. The decision to introduce parking meters in Caldwell raises questions about whether it is the right time for paid parking or if it is a revenue generating move, which we already have given some commentary on this and talked about it. I will admit, in all fairness, this kind of end decision with the timeframes they've chose, I think makes it a little bit easier. I don't know what you think, John, on that, but having it, what is it here, during the weekdays, I think it's Monday through Friday, it's 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. So if you're going for dinner there after 7 p.m., then you won't have to worry about that. And then also kind of having the hours restricted a little bit more on Saturday so people stay at businesses longer and they spend more money. I think that was a pretty good compromise. And then also having holidays free because downtown Caldwell can get a bit busy during the holidays. I think that's a nice compromise. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. That's what you see in a lot of cities where where parking is free after hours. And that that is nice. It means that that you're charging folks who are coming in for lunch. It, it also means that you rotate cars or you rotate people through your downtown that much quicker. So if you have people coming in for lunch, they're not going to park and then and then drive or and then walk around for the next three hours or drive in and, and use the city as their parking spot where they park when they go to work because it, it's costly. So it helps keep the parking for downtown spaces maintain that for the people who want to use those downtown spaces so in theory it should promote it should promote people actually spend their time a little bit more wisely downtown i guess well spending spending their time yeah doing things efficiently maybe 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly split. I'm, I'm kind of just mirroring the city council there. Where on the one hand, I don't, I am not against paid parking in the sense for cities like Boise makes sense. You, you get into a large enough populated area, the roads can't be massive. Right. And either you're going to put in a bunch, you're going to stop everyone from being to park on the sides and then you're going to have to build a parking garage, which they're going to have to pay for. Or you have more stalls and then also those are paid for because they're taking up land space that could otherwise be generating valuable revenue, yada, yada, yada. I get all that. But the only part that I do get snagged on is I don't know. We'll see. You know, at the end of the day, this is why I love local city stuff where they can try stuff. You can do this. And I really hope there's enough grace for the Caldwell City Council and for any city council for that matter in the state of Idaho that I want them to try to be doing this, these type of things. Try. Exercise that authority. We gave you to it. Experiment to try to make the city better. If it doesn't work, great. If Not great. But if it doesn't work, okay, then let's roll it back. Let's adapt and overcome, right? But let's not be afraid of trying things and experimenting to try to see what works best. My only concern is I, I wonder if maybe this is just a little too soon for Caldwell because Caldwell is growing. Downtown Caldwell is definitely booming with the Indian Creek Plaza they added and all the businesses and stuff. But who knows? I could be totally wrong. This isn't one where I'm going to plant my flag here, but it'll be interesting to see the intended effects. But I think it was very, very smart, whoever did it, to make holidays free because I feel like that would have been a nightmare and that would have caused a lot of angry people. Yeah, I think it's smart to make holidays free, to make to make non-business hours, to make those free. I don't know. I've I've been I've been in cities that have paid parking downtown for the majority of my life, so it's not that big of a deal. It it's kind of normal. So, you know, I I don't I don't really have much more to say. It's it's shocking to me when I go to cities that seem like they're at least relatively decent sized that don't have paid parking. That's that's more shocking to me. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know. I go that would be definitely something that would be interesting to look at. Like you could totally do that. You could pull the data in, be like, okay, take all the cities that have, you know, paid parking in their downtown area and then correlate how much revenue is generated within that and then you look at, okay, do the towns where there is paid parking, is that a better thing overall for the city where those funds are actually being allocated well and it's a good thing overall? Or is it actually deterring and hurting business and people coming in? That would be something that would be interesting to dive into if you guys out there want that cool let me know and i'll try to put that on the docket for research if not which i have a feeling because it's kind of a minor thing background thing it'd be an interesting thing to do on one's own time Uh, you might look into that for yourself if you're interested Now, speaking of transportation and a topic, many of you that have been listening for a decent amount of time know that I care very much and am very excited about Boise Salt Lake City train route hits a roadblock. This comes by the Boise Deb by Margaret Carmel. The dream of a train route between Boise and Salt Lake City has hit a little bit of a roadblock. The U.S. Department of Transportation recently announced federal funds to study the expansion of Amtrak services across various rail corridors in the country. However, the proposed route between Boise and Salt Lake City was no notably absent from the list, as was a proposal to study a route from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. This development comes as a disappointment to several Idaho officials, including Mayor Lauren McLean, Pocatello Mayor Brian Blade, Caldwell Mayor Jerome Wagner, Governor Brad Little, Representative Mike Simpson, Senator Jim Risch, and Mike Crapo. Despite the setbacks, Mayor Lauren McLean remains optimistic, stating, quote, while we're disappointed that Idaho wasn't awarded the grant, our commitment to returning passenger rail to the Intermountain West remains strong, end quote. Mountain West is 
is one of the most sparsely covered regions in terms of Antrax service. The Pioneer Line, which carries passengers from Portland to Salt Lake City, ended in 1990 due to budget cuts and low ridership. The recent federal funding announcement included plans to study a high-speed rail corridor from Southern California to Las Vegas and a line from Denver to Pueblo, but not the much-anticipated Boise-Salt Lake City route. However, there is still to be hope for the project. The Federal Rail Administration has indicated that more rounds of funding for possible new rail corridors to be studied will be available in the future, with applications potentially reopening in 2025. The success of future applications may depend on a variety of factors, including how well the region aligns with the U.S. Department of Transportation's strategic goals, economic strength, job creation, supply chain improvements, equity, and sustainability. Which, you know, that's a bunch of gobbledygook to basically say, as long as you are kind of in line with how we want you to do things, and you toe the party line, depending on the policy at the given time. So kind of going to be expected with California there, but not to beat a dead horse here, kind of recapping, because I think I've talked about this project a couple times in the show as it's been updated, and I, I hate kind of you hear the person just saying the same points again and again so I don't want to do that to you but I think generally this would have been a good thing because even in, especially with the job that I'm doing right now I'm in a fabrication job that I do full-time independent of what I'm doing with this podcast sometimes trying to get those two things is its own nightmare in and of itself but a lot of the times in the Treasure Valley there is you know there's industry here to do manufacturing and you can get a lot of it done here in Boise but perfect example is zinc for the shop that I'm at we have to ship everything that we get zinc coated down to Salt Lake and then it gets zinc coated and then it has to be shipped back. The idea of having a, pa- a rail system that's more regular, be it passenger or freight, the idea of having that a cheap, regularly traveled route, I think would be period good for the Treasure Valley. It'd be good for Salt Lake, plus all the families, the vacations that would occur there. I think on the flip side, a line between like Seattle and Boise or Boise and some major area in Washington and Oregon would be nice because I think there's a lot of people that would love to move here, but a lot of their higher tech jobs, because I ran into that after I got out of college, were in, you know, Portland or Seattle, and I didn't want to leave the state or other people that say, yeah, I want to leave the state, but they much rather live in Idaho, having that transportation specifically in the Pacific Northwest, that's, I think that's what you would call it, I think would be a good thing because the weather, it's hard, especially driving around during the winter and trying to do that, and then planes are expensive, and having that nice, cheaper option between cities on long distances with rail, I think would be a really, really good thing. Yeah, I can see there being some benefit to it. I I just, I don't know. I've I've lived in places that have some rail and it it's it's expensive. And maybe it's expensive because it's hardly used because it's not great. So maybe that's the solution. It's kind of a field of dreams thing. If you build it, they'll come. So maybe that works. We were in we lived in Albuquerque and there was a train that went from Albuquerque to Santa Fe. And it was from from downtown to downtown, it was, I don't know, it was like a 45, 60 minute drive. And there were a lot of people that commuted from Albuquerque to Santa Fe. Albuquerque is the the big city in New Mexico, but Santa Fe is the capital. So, you know, if you want to do anything at the state level, you have to go to Santa Fe. And then there were people that that just commuted. You know, we had we had state employees that lived in Albuquerque because Santa Fe was expensive to live in. And so they installed uh, a train and it went from Santa Fe to Albuquerque and then it went down to another city south of there, Las Cruces, with the intention of, well, you know, let's let's use a train to move people. And that train lost the city obscene amounts of money because no one rode it. Because, yeah, it was quicker, but it's something I, I said before. You have to first get to the train. Then you have to board the train. Then once you get to the place you're going, you have to find a way to get from the train station to wherever it is you're going. 
and I don't know, maybe there's there's an Uber fleet there, but but what what do those what do those people who are driving Ubers do when they're not carting people from the train to where they're going? They there's there's there aren't enough taxis to make that happen. So then maybe you have a shuttle system that starts, but so there's there's a there's a whole litany of of problems to solve that come after that. And, and yeah, you know, we talk about it in in the engineering world, a problem is just a, just a an opportunity that hasn't been solved or that hasn't been realized yet. But it is it is still a problem. It's a hurdle. It's something that hasn't been realized. So what what I don't know, I'm a little apprehensive when we start talking about trains, if only because if I drive my car, it might be a little more expensive when you add in wear and tear and the and the cost of gas. Now, the cost of gas has increased tremendously in the last 10 years, so maybe that needs to be relooked at. But still, for, for someone to drive an hour or five and be able to leave when you want, from where you want, and then go to exactly where you want to go to, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time with trains. I would love to see it work. I, I just... I just have a hard time with it. Right, right. And, you know, like everything, you're going to have different hurdles to overcome. You know, originally in America, right, I would say for a long time, the automobile did not win. That's why trains were so popular and aircraft in their time as well were very popular for the American public because before, which here again, this is a side note that I like to share with some people because, you know, I love my history, but it always blows my mind. The interstate highway that we all take for granted so often and love that like, oh yeah, I'm going to take a road trip, you know, back east to Nashville, or you're going to go down to California and you can drive there in, well, if I'm going back east, that's like, a, that's almost 24 hours. So like two days almost, if you're just going kind of flat out kind of situation there or down to California, you can do it kind of in one day from Idaho, right? That has only existed in America for less than a hundred years. That only came around like the 50s and the 60s with the highway infrastructure that's been built out. So before that, everyone was like, yeah, there's tons of drawbacks to cars. Why would I do that? You know, you're, all the roads are dirt and it's uncomfortable. And yeah, it's actually going to take me longer because you can't get up to full speed. But then we really sat there and said, no, this is, this is the future. This is an effective way of doing this. And mainly because different generals saw the Autobahn when we were there in Germany and then took that and said, hey, let's apply that in America. And so you have that infrastructure built up and then a lot of the drawbacks for cars have been mitigated and private industry came in and you have fuel stations that have shown up all along those routes and the nature of American economy there. But with that said, I did briefly, like we mentioned last time we talked about this and kind of continuing this discussion, and this was very quick, I went over to the researching software we use here on the podcast, Perplexity, but I went and quickly just kind of asked it to give us general rundowns of the reason why rail doesn't work quite as well in the United States as it does in Europe, because over in Europe, I've heard many a person that's like, yeah, you could hop in a train and one minute you're in France and the next you're over in Germany or Italy or whatever. And so I looked up, the first one was like infrastructure. This is one I didn't quite no, but in the United States, as we most know, freight and passenger rail has to use the same lines. Europe actually has separate rail networks, one for freight and one for passenger. So the two of them can run more smoothly. And then usually it, depending on the rail line, kind of like freeways, they'll have multiple train lines on that same one. So for instance, like the example you were telling, I think last week or a week before last when we were talking about it, John, where you're like, hey, yeah, the train goes from Boise, but then it has to stop in, it has to stop in Meridian and it has to stop, what is it, middle, we'll say Middleton, then maybe Caldwell or whatever, right? So it's actually slower because it has to stop, go, stop, go. Well, over in Europe, you have all these different lines. So you constantly have trains going like one to one 
one rather than one to five. It, it kind of takes that American answer of like, oh, there's a problem with congestion, more lanes, and applied it to trains. Yeah. So the benefit for trains, I think I see is for affordable mass transit. Yeah, I, I guess. But planes are planes are pretty darn affordable. Like, I don't know. I, maybe maybe my problem is that I haven't been in Europe, so I can't I can't speak to what their train system is like and how easy it is to use. And, you know, if we could get if we could get rid of the need of for people to to own cars, then that would be a reduced expense. And so you see that happening in cities where in, in New York and Chicago, you don't necessarily need to own a car because there's taxis and Ubers and anything else always there. And you can take the subway and you can get from A to B really easily, regardless of time of day and anything else. I, I just, man, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't see it ever being economically viable. And maybe, maybe I'm backwards and, and I'm, I don't know. A Luddite, but I just, I just don't see it being economically viable. No, no, you're not, John. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my stance. It, it almost feels like we're going backwards with technology instead of forwards with technology. Like the, the train was first and it was great for what it was. And then we, then we invented cars and cars are great for what they are. And then we invented the airplane and planes are great for what they are. So the question is, the question in my mind is not, well, then let's go backwards to what it was before. Let's go forwards to what it is next. What is that next thing that's going to completely change the way we do things so that we look at cars and be like, why would anyone ever buy a car the same way we do with trains? Why would anyone ever ride a train? Because we have this thing, be it, be it teleporters or hover cars or personal flying devices, which would be a PFD, which I find funny. How, what if I gave you a little food for thought? Cause this will probably come up again. Uh-huh. And I... And I am more than happy to think about it. Like I said, I could just be a Luddite and that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's why we need discussion, the free market of different ideas that our ideas can die and we can discuss them and that we can hopefully come to improved ones. The problem we're talking about with like population and congestion because cities grow, right? When with that, people need to be able to move around between businesses to do commerce and stuff. And so part of me also is like, well, congestion and transportation issue, right? Within high population areas or countries and doing it in an affordable way isn't an issue that we haven't run into before. And so let's learn, look at our past, right? Maybe look at the past. And that's in my case, looking at rail, right? Being something that was used in Europe or in other areas because Europe is older than America and has a higher density in population, right? And see, okay, what worked well there? Then take our modern technology and take our current circumstances, mix those two, those three things together and maybe come up with a lasting solution for the 21st century in the United States. That's kind of my thought process. Now, what does that come to? I would say, think on that. I will be thinking on that i haven't gone and super dug into it because each one of these times we talk about it, it's kind of a little bit more passive but since it keeps coming up i should probably sit down for one of these episodes and just really dig into it and we can go through that yeah it would be interesting to do a deep dive into possible and potential solutions i know i know there are any number of youtubers that i that i do enjoy when they do deep dives into things like that oftentimes it's things like technology or or ways things developed in history but but yeah that that would be interesting to do agreed agreed but enough of us rambling on our two positions <laughs> on the way that mankind is to move across this wonderful creation god has given us we'll move over to our next story here 
Now, speaking of something that we've talked a bit about and regularly, the future of Snake River Dams, clean or reliable. This comes by the Bonner County Daily Bee by Haley Golden and Rebecca Boone of Associated Press. In a recent development, a leaked document from the Biden administration has shown that the U.S. government has expressed its willingness to support the construction of new clean energy projects in the region, potentially replacing the hydropower generated by four dams on the Snake River. However, the removal of these dams would require significant congressional approval and the prospect that seems unlikely in the near future. The document in question is a draft agreement aimed at upholding the 168-year-old treaty with four tribes in the Pacific Northwest preserving their right to harvest fish in the rivers, among others. The Columbian River Basin, once the world's most prolific salmon-producing river system, has seen a significant decline in its salmon and steelhead stock, with conservationists contributing this primarily to the dams. Conservation groups and tribes have taken legal action against the federal government in an effort to save the struggling fisheries. A potential agreement that could pause the lawsuit is expected to be submitted by mid-December. The draft agreement outlines plans for the government to assist tribes in developing clean energy resources to replace the power generated by the Snake River dams, regardless of whether Congress authorizes dam removal. The draft also proposes billions of dollars in funding to analyze the region's energy needs, improve transportation infrastructure, trains, maybe, I don't know, enhancing the power grid resilience, and restoring native fish runs in the Columbia River Basin. However, the proposal has been met with opposition from utility, business groups, and local citizens who argue that dam breaching would harm the region's ports and farmers, potentially increasing electrical prices and decreasing the reliability of the grid as a whole in the West. The debate of the pros and cons of dam breaching has been ongoing for years. While some lawmakers embrace the idea, others argue for alternative solutions to save the fish. The fate of the Snake River dams and the future of the salmon conservation in the Pacific Northwest hangs in the balance as decisions continue. Which we talked about last week, more funding going into the dams in Idaho anyways, not the Pacific Northwest as a whole. I don't know what Oregon and Washington are doing because I don't have enough time for that. But, but I, I, we all know that the Biden administration likes clean and renewable stuff, but I would argue that out of all the options, as we've talked about here before, renewable things and this specific topic does get me a little frustrated and any, I would argue any sound politician that's running for office in Idaho should not be in support of these dams getting removed because it's the one thing that gives Idaho such an edge in our economy that we have some of the cheapest and some of the most reliable power in the nation and that is due to the investments we've given into hydro. It's clean. We don't have a lot of pollutants. We can turn it on and off when we need and it's and it also really, really helps our agriculture that the dams not only generate a ton of power for the state, we sell a ton of that power, but then it diverts the water in such a way that all the areas of the southern part of the state that otherwise wouldn't have water comes from all those dams in a very intricate, well-designed irrigation system that allows for that that otherwise without the dams just can't happen. And so I, I would say it's par for the course with the Biden administration, but this is just stupid. I think I agree with you, and I, I don't have too much to add, but it, it goes with, I, I know I said it in in an episode uh, a couple episodes ago, we as humans, not even we as humans, organisms change the environment that they live in, whether it's humans or fish or amoebas or birds, living organisms change the environment in which they live. And while, yes, I agree that, that conserving the environment in which we live is important, 
that it is important to make sure that that all of the things that happen in that environment continue happening in a way that that everything flourishes and to be good caretakers of it yeah to be caretakers of it but at the same time the desire to completely remove human intervention from the land is 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 I don't know. It's intellectually bankrupt. Well, at its most base function, I don't know for the atheist, but for the Christian, we can say it it is a violation of the commandment that God gave us, our cultural mandate. Yeah, yeah, the the cultural mandate. And and Tyler, I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But you talk to someone who's not a Christian, and they're like, well, yeah, but I don't I don't give a rat's ass who God is or or what he told you to do. I think he's wrong, and you're wrong too. And and so at that point, that that's where I do agree with some of some of the conservative thinkers out there that are Christians, I think of, of Ben Shapiro is one of them who, who does it consistently where he, he argues not from a Christian, I guess a Judeo Christian standpoint where he would probably agree with that, that yes, we should be, we, we should be stewards because God told us to, but he'll argue more from the, from the naturalist standpoint to say, look, even if you don't agree with God, these are principles that you should agree with because you're a logical thinking human being. And as a logical thinking human being, I, I think the, the, the conservation of nature at all costs is, is, is an intellectually bankrupt idea. And so the idea there, there might be benefits for, for breaching dams. And that might be totally true. If you can prove that, that by, by breaching dams and reducing them, that, that it's going to help or the, the benefit outweighs the cost, then okay. But the, the cost of breaching a dam, there's, there's a lot to it. It, Like you you can't just look at the environment and say, well, you know, the salmon are going to survive better and it will be better for them. Okay, that's great, but also there's a lot of things that won't happen, and and so I, I think I think that's the that's the danger. Well, it it's that, and I would say at the most simple level, it, it's, it's it's simplistic. Man bad, man built dam, dam bad type of equation. Very very simplistic. It's not considering all the other factors and things that go in it. Now credit where credits due to the Biden administration. There they are in this report. I think I told in the script. If I didn't, I'll add more context. Part of this is like, hey, we're spending this bunch of billions of dollars because you know they like the letter b for their proposals and trying to say hey we'll take out the dams but then we'll replace it with a bunch of wind and solar and renewables and stuff which one cool but also on the flip side and you know i i don't have a thing against wind and solar i just have a thing against that the power grid it needs to be reliable and cheap and when we go look over other situations i'm not saying america is not europe but when we go look over europe with germany which is a reasonably sized country that has heavily invested in renewables. They have some of the most expensive electricity prices in the world for power. And then two, it's some of the most unreliable. So just from that experiment alone, I think it would be foolhardy to switch over to it and try to replace it with something that we know dams are reliable, like crazy reliable. They put even nuclear reactors to shame in their reliability. The only reason some places don't do dams is, well, because they don't have mountains and different areas to kind of dam up. When you have the mountains that we have in the Pacific Northwest, it's like a no-brainer. But also kind of springboarding, not springboarding, but touching on that topic that you responded to on my first foray there, that yes, you know, I would argue from the, you know, with Ben Shapiro and that and everything that one, us as human beings, independent of if you like it or not, we are creatures that are made in such a way to worship something. We will have a God. We will have a higher order that we reach to. You might not like it. 
with the atheist, it might be yourself and your mind. That that is your highest thing you reach to, and that is your god. You can call it something else, but you will have a you will have a higher order that you try to attain to, and it is the thing that you have in your life. You can put yourself there, you can put your money there, you can put nature there as the naturalist or you know the conservationist would write that nature is wholly imperfect and that man is the encroachment upon it, right? But all that comes back to, you know, what is your God? What is your highest order? And when you're having a discussion with someone, be it Christian or not, right, you want to have that discussion and try to relate and convince them from that higher order that they appeal to. So that's what you see with Ben Shapiro, I'd argue, that you're kind of giving that example to, is that he's sitting there and saying, hey, if you go to the naturalist and try to argue for them that they need what they're doing is stupid and stupid because God says so, well, they have already rejected God in that situation, we'll put it that way, for some of them, right? And they have put nature as their God, or whatever you want to call it, right? So you need to appeal to that through that rationale for you to have any success in that discussion or convince them of your position. And then kind of coming last, as my brain's formulating all of its bits here, I would say, as we've mentioned here, and you've mentioned as well, we want to be good stewards of the environment, right? That we have in the area we have, and we will have an effect on it. But I would argue, and I've heard about it from other discussion and people I've talked about in this topic, because here again, this is another one, rail, dams, some of the big ones I here in Idaho I care about, is that you can make, they cost money, they do, but you can make these gradual like side dams, right? Or not dams, like rivers almost using concrete or whatever off to the side of the dam that the fish can swim up that and get to the top of the dam. And they can gradually do that. Does it take more land? Yes, but the dam can stay installed and the fish can still be there and we can have the both the best worlds. And if you're already willing to spend billions of dollars, just spend it on that. We can have the best of both worlds. We don't have to pay for a new dam. We don't have to pay for new infrastructure in that sense. We just pay for, you know, they're going to be expensive, these like fish corridors or ladders or whatever. The fish population comes up. The dam gets to stay in place, power gets to be generated, and everyone's happy. But it seems to be something, just because of the cost, that the left-leaning people that are usually in the conservationist area, in my opinion, they don't want, it doesn't fit their narrative to keep the dam in place. It fits their narrative to get rid of the dam, not to find a solution that makes both parties happy. Anywho, that's happening. You can go read that document that came out, kind of a leaked one there that they've been working on. I would expect nothing less from the Biden administration um, trying to weasel around Congress, I think it was, they have to get, yeah, Congress for authorization because, you know, that seems to be the standard MO after coming into the 20th and 21st century is to try to get around Congress and accountability of the American people and their will and desire, independent of how dysfunctional we can be as a nation sometimes, because, you know, families are like that. But interesting development, to say the least. And personally, I hope it doesn't uh, go through. But if you guys have a different opinion or something, please send it over. I would love to discuss it next week on the main show and hear you guys' thoughts and feelings on this and uh, maybe something I didn't know about it. So that brings us to our last story here. Idaho Falls Company plans limestone mining operations. This comes from the East Idaho News by Rhett Nelson. Burns Industries LLC, a local company based in Idaho Falls, is planning to open a limestone mining operation near Wolverine Canyon, about 20 miles northeast of Blackfoot. The proposed quarry, which will be located on 204 acres of U.S. Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, property, will mine high-grade calcium carbonate limestone, a versatile material used in a wide range range of products from cement and livestock to paint and toothpaste. 
The BLM opened a public comment period earlier this year to discuss the results of the company's environmental assessment. The comment period, originally set to close on December 8, has been extended by a week due to public interest. Bryce Anderson, BLM project manager, explained that the comment period allows interested parties to familiarize themselves with the proposed quarry and identify potential issues for the BLM to consider. Once the public comments have been reviewed, a process expected to take about six months, a final decision on the project is anticipated in spring 2024. However, even after the BLM's decision, Burns Industries will still need to finalize several permits in Bingham County and have a reclamation plan approved by the Idaho Department of Lands before mining operations can begin. According to a BLM news resource, Burns Industries plans to mine in 20-acre blocks and concurrently reclaim the previously mined area to minimize disturbance. The total area of impact, including access, storage, infrastructure, facilities, and truck loadout, is estimated to be 262 acres. The quarry is expected to have a lifespan of 100 years, which this is awesome. We've talked about it before, talking about more mining in the state, and mining is a great thing. Now, there are ways to do it poorly. You can strip mine and destroy the the area that you're working in. Honestly, this is a lot related to the conversation we were having just now with regards to the Snake River. There's a way to mine in ways that don't destroy the land. And so, therefore, I'm excited for this. This is good. It's good to have more things that we can export from Idaho, more products that other people want to buy. That's a way to bring in more money into our state, which money as a medium of trade, that means that we can have more. We can have more people here. We can do more. We can build more. That that seems like it's only a good thing. Also, on a grander scale, increasing the amount of natural resources that we pull out of the ground in the United States as compared to buying them from other places, well, that means that our money is staying in the United States. And that also is a good thing for us. So this sounds like it's a good thing to me. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, we've talked about earlier, especially with like the Bunker Hill mind we talked about earlier this year, kind of coming online up north there, which super looking forward to going up there. If someone from that mind is listening, I would love to do a tour and do a video of it, please. Wink, wink, wink. But yeah, I know there's been a couple different proposals as the podcast has been around going over there in eastern Idaho for mining projects in that area, trying to get it off the ground. But like John said, I think this is a wonderful thing when we make things here in the U.S. on top of what John said, but it also also, it gives us a certain amount of, what's the word I'm reaching for, like reliability or stability in the sense that we're not beholding to another country for our limestone and for these resources that we need in our industry. Or if there's, you know, some entrepreneur in America, it's like, hey, I invented this new, I don't know, we'll go crazy with it, but it's an absurd example. Like I invented this new cure for cancer and it uses limestone. Well, the U.S. can be there and be like, oh, that's cool. We got plenty of that. We don't have to go to some third world country or whatever and try to get it from it. And then also when things are done here in the U.S. and hopefully they're done cheaply and efficiently and effectively, right? Well, then it can be done in a way where there's no slave labor rather than if the U.S. has to go and import it from some of these third world countries and different things that don't have governments that are properly fulfilling their role as a government, which is to keep chaos and order and for individual liberties to be protected, well, then those countries then use slave labor to meet those demands for that order and those different materials. Rather than if we can do it here in the U.S., we can both do it sustainably, hopefully, and also be doing it in such a way that people are justly paid and it brings jobs and industry to the area. And so anytime you hear of a mine and it's trying to be built up and they're trying to be reasonable with it and do precautions, I think it's a wonderful thing all around and positives in every aspect, especially if you know the management of this project 
which Burns Industry LLC is, it sounds like, trying to do their best to do it in a responsible way with respect to the environment. I think that's a wonderful thing, and they should get the green light, I hope, as soon as possible, as long as they keep along that intention and pathway. If you are someone that lives in the area of where they're putting this in, and you do want it, and are in full support of it, be it support or against, it helps immensely, especially with local matters like this. Feedback, you might think, oh, what does my voice matter? No, at these local things, it matters a ton, a ton. Sometimes it can be the matter of just two or three different voices. Sometimes that can sway different committees and voting bodies and different things because usually most people don't get involved. And so the cool thing for you as a person listening to the show means that your voice is that much more stronger when you do go and speak at these different things or give feedback. Because most of the time, even with like the podcast here, perfect example, when you guys reach out, it does have a huge effect and it means a lot to us to get that feedback from you. And it's very valuable to help us properly build the show in such a way. And in this case, with the BLM project and feedback, build society and industry in America in the way that the American people want it, not just how big corporations or industries want it. Now, with that said, thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. Please share this podcast around so we can grow it and more people can find out about the wonderful different things going on in Idaho. If we missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to us via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting us at localyokelidaho. With the small team we have here, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed.